Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. Over 30 years ago, the nation witnessed video of Rodney King being viciously beaten by police in California. It was the first time such an incident was caught on video and opened the eyes of the nation to police violence. Since then, police killings have drawn attention and outrage in what feels like a never-ending loop. 24 years ago, it was Amadou Diallo. In 2014, it was Tamir Rice. In 2020, it was Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. All those people whose lives were taken by police. And it was just to name a few. Last month, Tyree Nichols' name was added to that list. After the 29-year-old was pulled over in a traffic, traffic stop, body camera footage shows Memphis police brutally assaulting him as two officers restrained him with his hands behind his back. Tyree Nichols died in the hospital three days later. Since then, calls for justice and police reform are once again ringing out across the nation. So what is being done here in Tennessee? That's coming up later this hour. But first, Governor Bill Lee delivered his fifth annual State of the State address last night. The governor is kicking off his second term, laying out a legislative agenda that promises more money for roads, families and teachers. Here to give us a recap of the speech is WPLN's political reporter, Blaze Ganey. Hey, Blaze, how's it going? It's going good. Awesome. So, you know, this annual address often follows a theme. And this year's theme for Governor Lee was, quote, leading the nation. Let's hear a little bit about what he means by that. Ford Motor Company could have picked any state in the country. But why did they choose to plant their roots in West Tennessee? In and out Burger, iconic family-run company of all the states they could have picked, their new hub and first footprint east of Texas is coming to the volunteer state. Why Tennessee? Because American people know a leading state when they see one. And that's why people and families and companies are moving here in record numbers. All right, Blaze, he's talking about a lot of companies moving here, but it's more than that, right? Of course. Um, You know, the state of the state is really a wish list of things the governor would like in the direction that he wants the state to go. And it basically aligned exactly with his conservative principles. And those principles are what he believes is driving businesses and people to the state. Uh, The low taxes, the total abortion ban, Mm. uh, privatizing education, which includes charters and also the school voucher program. It's directly from the conservative playbook that we can see taking place in a lot of other red states also. And he wants to make sure that it's implemented here. So what does Governor Lee plan to accomplish during his second term? So I would think about it in sort of three buckets, roads, education, and 10-care expansion, which is something he didn't really focus on during his first term. For roads, he wants $3 billion to help ease traffic congestion around the state Mm. um, and another $300 million for local highway program. Uh, For schools, his biggest applause line came when he announced he'd give $125 million toward teacher pay raises in that he wanted to see uh, the the baseline for teacher starting salary go up to fifty thousand uh, dollars by the end of his uh, current four year term, and you know those were basically the highlights of the night. 
So the other big news was the dramatic increase in TenCare that you just mentioned, and that's the state's health insurance program for low-income families. What is he proposing there? Yeah, he actually spent, you know, majority of the speech uh, talking about this expansion for TenCare to help infants and mothers. Um, something he said is needed since Dobbs was overturned during the summer. Um, his plan would raise the threshold for TenCare recipients which he estimates will help at least 5,000 more mothers become eligible for the program. And another thing he's proposing in the program, which I myself like because, you know, I have a a Mm -hmm. two-year-old, is he's proposing covering diapers for the first two years of a baby's life for mothers in 10 care. Okay, That's, that's big stuff. Now, there was an interruption during this section of the speech that was really hard to hear. Let's listen. We we can have we can have a healthy debate. Civility is not a weakness, by the way. It is a strength. I mean, that's a good message. So, you know, tell us what happened. Well, as Lee was announcing his proposal to support low-income families, he also nodded to the fact that the state <clears throat> the state has completely stopped abortions, and that's when the heckling began. Now, from where the press uh, press box is, you, we can't see into the gallery where the hecklers were, but in response, as you heard, the Republican supermajority stood up and clapped and sort of drowned out the hecklers mm-hmm. and until everything calmed down. But that didn't stop other protests from taking place. A group of physicians in white coats were lined up outside the chamber holding signs so that when lawmakers and the governor exited, they couldn't help but see signs reading forced birth is not freedom, respect patient-physician relationships, and others. So it's just a, a sign that this issue is not dying down. Could you hear what the protesters were saying? I really couldn't. It, you know, it was difficult to hear them. They're not on the speakers like the governor is. And mm-hmm. so I'm pretty sure, you know, those up in the stands with them could hear. And I mean, you would get an idea of what they were saying, probably things against what the governor was proposing at the time. All right. So, you know, after the break, we're pivoting to policing in the wake of Tyree Nichols' tragic death at the hands of Memphis police. I'm curious, did Governor Lee talk about Tyree Nichols? You know, he didn't mention Tyree Nichols by name, but he did say that he's been in constant prayer for the Nichols family for their the tragic loss of their son. But before and after the release of the video showing the brutal police beating of Nichols, Memphis Senator um, Karen Camper said police brutality is something that should be addressed this year. Police work and public safety is not an easy job but high moral standards and accountability must win every day. From inside out, from officers on the street to judges on the bench. And and Karen Camper is a a Democrat from Memphis, so, you know, that that whole story probably really touches home for her. But Mm -hmm. Governor Lee never said anything about accountability or changing the system that allowed for this to take place. And instead, he actually talked about expanding law enforcement's presence in the state and in schools. So, you know, what's next for Governor Lee's legislative proposals? Well, just like any other bill or proposal, they'll go through committees. Lawmakers will have a chance to either sign off or make little tweaks to them uh, to see, you know, fit their agenda. Um, But basically nothing he said last night is certain until the end of session when they pass the budget.
That was WPLN political reporter Blaze Ganey. Blaze, it's never a dull moment on Capitol Hill, huh? Not at all. Thank you for keeping an eye out on everything. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll invite community leaders to reflect on the tragic death of Tyree Nichols and share what they would like to see change when it comes to policing. And we want to hear from you. How would you like to see policing change? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. After the murder of George Floyd in 2020, calls broke out across the nation to dismantle police departments. Many of these activists and protesters had lost faith in the ability of police to fulfill their mission of protecting and serving the people. Police violence is a highly politicized issue in our country, and it often feels like we're stuck in a cycle of tragedy followed by shock and outrage, then very little substantial change. Well, last month, five Memphis police officers brutally assaulted 29-year-old Tyree Nichols, sending him to the hospital where he died from his injuries. And that cycle started again. As the nation and the city of Memphis mourn, renewed calls for police reform are echoing through our communities. Here in Tennessee, the current epicenter of outrage, community leaders and lawmakers are highlighting the problems with the city, with the system of policing and demanding action. My next guests are some of those leaders. Timothy Hughes is a community organizer who sits on the board of Gideon's Army, a nonviolence prevention group in Nashville. Erica Perry is with the programming organizing nonprofit, political organizing nonprofit, excuse me, Black Nashville Assembly. And Michaela McCree is a member of the Metro Nashville Community Oversight Board. I want to welcome you all to This is Nashville. Thank you for being here, although I wish it were under brighter and different circumstances. Thank you for being here. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. You know, we're all still responding to the killing of Tyree Nichols in our own ways. But I want to hear what your reactions were. Erica, you know, you spent time organizing in Memphis. How did you react when you heard about Tyree Nichols killing at the hands of police? Yeah, I I react the same way we've had to react for, you know, the past few years. Um, We know that police kill people, um, uh, police kill people at least once a month, almost daily in this country. Um, And I was extremely sad, but not surprised because in doing work in Memphis and organizing in Memphis, specifically organizing around Invest Divest, Mm -hmm. where we look at budgets and we make the demand to divest from policing and invest in community-based services, I I knew that police in Memphis get over $200 million. Uh, Similarly, it's the same in Nashville. And so with that amount of money um, given to an institution that was founded in this country on capturing uh, black people running away from slavery, that was that continued the work of Jim Crow, continued the work of the war on drugs, and and has not accounted for that and has not made a commitment uh, to transforming that, then I I was not surprised, but I remain heartbroken. And for us, I was extremely frustrated because I know in 2020, 
our people had bold demands around taking money from the police and reallocating that money. And unfortunately, uh, our political leaders, uh, elected officials across the country, uh, specifically in, in, in the South and in Tennessee, refused to meet that demand. And our people are paying for it. They're paying for it in Nashville. We saw that a person having a mental health um having a mental health issue was gunned down by the police in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And so I was not surprised, um, but, but I, I was angry. I was heartbreaking and broke broken and continued to channel that rage and that anger into organizing my people um, into building safety that is not relying on policing. And I do want to get back to that question of funding, but Timothy, how did you react when you heard about the death of Tyree Nichols? Yeah. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'll start by saying that I'm a native of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I remember a uh, similar situation happening there with Alton Sterling. Mm -hmm. um, I've been involved in community organizing for a number of years and having gotten work uh, an opportunity to, to work with and build with Rashida Fatuga, who's mm -hmm. the founder of Gideon's Army. Uh, we've been responding to issues of police accountability and misconduct and police violence uh, in similar situations since Trayvon Martin was killed uh, back in 2012. And so this was not... A surprise to me. It was deeply heartbreaking, but you know, Nashville has been here before. We've been here with uh, Jacquees Clemens and Daniel Hambrick, who were both shot by uh, law enforcement officers, and uh, the groundswell that happened in the community uh, that created the Community Oversight Board um, was kind of birthed out of that same discussion. Uh, Gideon's Army was, you know, in, involved in uh, work around the creation of uh, a conversation around accountability uh, with the Driving While Black report in 2016. Uh, which was kind of a canary in the coal mine that saw uh, into the future that there were police stops issues that were happening in North Nashville that needed to be addressed and corrected. Um, from the, the creation of that report, uh, it was greeted by the then uh, chief of police as morally disingenuous. Uh, it seemed that they could not argue with the data, but they seemed to argue with the way that we expressed our frustration with the data, mm. which was interesting. Uh, and so, yeah, there's been a long history of uh, these kinds of incidents happening uh, in places like uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and in Nashville, uh, I had the uh, the honor of being present uh, there at the funeral in Memphis with Tyree Nichols's family, uh, with some of the dignitaries there who were demanding uh, accountability uh, and and movement uh, regarding this issue. But I think that what we have to address, though, is not that we're just demanding reforms. I think that reforms are not uh, going to be sufficient in this moment. I think what we have to do is what Erica and so many others uh, are, are demanding, which is that we reimagine what public safety looks like. We can't just invest uh, money in jails and cages and policing uh, and expect that the outcomes are going to be any different. We've mm -hmm. got to redirect those resources into wraparound services, into mutual aid, into response that addresses some of those public safety issues that doesn't you know, center policing. I will ask you about potential solutions later on in this segment, but Michaela, I'd like to get your reaction. Absolutely. Um, I was numb. We've seen this time and time again across the country um, in my lifetime over the past two decades. Like this is all that we seem to understand about mm. policing. I, I believe the framework I come to this work from is that policing or law enforcement as we know it today is a tool of white supremacy, which can beget nothing but violence, right? Um, the language um, in, in joining the Community Oversight Board, they take you through the Citizens Police Academy. And in there, they teach you how they train their officers, how um, all of the aspects of the departments. And in being a part of that academy, listening to the language, the training, the tactics 
They are armed with military-grade materials. Um, while they have measures of de-escalation, eliminating a threat is more of the tactic in which they approach a, a situation. And so while I was numb to the situation because we see it so often, I forced myself to watch the video to feel, mm. right? Mm. Um, what seeing black trauma on display is not what I love to see, but doing this work, you can become numb and numb to it. And so watching the video, crying and making myself feel all of the things um, was my initial reaction. Because like Timothy said, there is no path forward in which reform will work. Um, completely reimagining public safety and leaning in to some of the studies and pilots that have been done across the country to show that violence interrupter programs have been more effective at bringing down crime rates in cities than police departments have, mm. investing in communities so that they have health care, they have access to jobs, right, and that they are economically stronger. So we see some of those crime rates come down. Um, now, you, you, you talked about the video. I haven't seen the video. I refuse to because, as you said, you know, over the last 20 years in my life, it's been 30 years used to seeing this type of thing. I want to mm -hmm. avoid that trauma. But officials, they warned everybody about the brutality of the video before it was released to the public. Why do you think they chose to prepare the public to prepare the public for what they were about to see when we've seen similar videos before so many times? I don't think they were preparing the public. I think they were preparing themselves. Mm. Explain. Time and time again, we have seen the cycles happen where incident occurs Either someone's shot or killed or murdered by the police, community reacts. And they knew this video and this incident was so gruesome that the people had no choice but to respond. And so I think they gave themselves buffer, mm. a buffer in order to protect the department and to come up with a strategy for themselves. This has nothing to do with the protection of folks viewing the video. There were reports that police departments across the country prepared themselves and were on high full alert during that time, the weekend, when they released the video. You know, last week, Tyree Nichols was laid to rest in Memphis. And Timothy, you mentioned that you were there at the funeral. Can you tell us about the services? Um, the services were incredibly dignified. Um, we got to see a great deal of uh, perspective shared from the family and from other members of the community about uh, who Tyree Nichols was um, outside of the impact of this tragic and terrible um, departure from this world, the, um, the character and the, um, the temperament and the, the person, the humanity that he represented and embodied uh, in his life. And I think that that was an appropriate way to memorialize him. I think another way that we should be demanding that we remember and memorialize um, the many victims of police violence is that we finally take action politically. Uh, that we finally take policy action to move the needle as it relates to uh, accountability for law enforcement, that we issue things like, you know, qualified immunity, uh, which is uh, protecting officers essentially uh, at, the, um, at the expense of the lives and safety of folks in the community. Uh, it's about addressing issues of public safety beyond just investments in policing, uh, to making sure that communities that are invested in um, uh, actually have the resources necessary to provide members of the community with a sense of safety. 
uh, it's, it's going to require us to think beyond just punitive measures uh, of, of responses in reaction to when police officers step out of accountability uh, and demanding that accountability. It, it looks like uh, actually demanding justice. Justice would, would actually be Tyree Nichols still being alive. Mm-hmm. It would be um, institutions and, and systems that actually reflect the needs of our communities in ways that center them. It also looks like investing in local community uh, infrastructure uh, beyond policing that provides for support in education, healthcare, and the others now, uh, that have been mentioned. Now, just two days after the Nichols video was released and his fatal encounter with police was shown to everyone, Metro Nashville police officers shot and killed a 48-year-old black man in North Nashville. There's still a lot we don't know about the incident, but, you know, Erica, do you see connections between the two cities when it comes to police violence? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one is the, the the millions of dollars that the police departments get. I think the other connections are that we saw um, we both have black police chiefs and that has not undermined it, the ability of police officers to be anti-black and carry out the work of white supremacy. Um, it should also be named that we 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 both live in the we all live in the state of Tennessee. And so, of course, we have laws on the book that force our communities to interact with the police on an ongoing basis as we see the criminalization of of drugs and, and even this attempt to criminalize uh, being queer through the anti drag law, being trans through the anti drag bill that that uh, state elected officials, some of them are attempting to pass. And so it's not a coincidence that a few days after we get the um, unfortunate release of Tyree Nichols um, murdered by the police, that a few days later, police officers in Nashville take the lives of an, uh, take the life of another black man. It's not a coincidence that also in Mount Julian in November of 2022, uh, Mount Julian police killed Eric Allen. Um, it's also not a coincidence that earlier in 2022, school resource officer uh, in Chattanooga harmed another black child. It's not a coincidence that in 2021, a police officer um, harmed a, a child in Knox, Knoxville County Schools. And, and and similarly, I believe it was in 2020 that a police officer in Knoxville killed a student at school, a, a black student at school. And so we got to be really clear about the state of policing and we should be extremely alarmed Anytime elected officials talk about giving more money to the police, talk about expanding the role of police. I was frightened when I saw local elected officials in Nashville commit to putting more police officers in school. Right. And and not and not thinking about what can we do with young people? What can we do with um, with parents and community members to ensure our child's safety without increasing the role of the school to prison pipeline in our schools? And so I just want to name that we see police be an answer to social issues that our communities can really confront if given the power, if given money to do that. And so, um, yeah, I continue to be angry um, and recognize the ways in which budgets um, in which elected officials that over rely on policing and really undemocratically do that because community members have been saying we want resources for our community. Mm-hmm. Now, Michaela, both Memphis and Nashville, they have police oversight boards, right? Yes. Any similarities between the two? 
There are many similarities. Um, the difference between the major difference, I would say, between the Shelby County Oversight Board and the Davidson County Oversight Board is that the Davidson County Board has subpoena power. So we have the subpoena power through Metro Council, um, which gives us a little bit more authority, although we have not been able to really use that and hold in on those. Mm. What I would like to say is um Boards are under attack, all of them. There's three boards, I believe, one in Knoxville, Shelby County, and Davidson County. Um, and there's an attempt to expand, to get oversight boards in many of the other counties here in Tennessee. Um, and that has been a halted effort for many reasons. Um, as we see, one of the um, proposed pieces of legislation in this session is to eliminate all oversight boards in the state of Tennessee um, and to return oversight power to pretty much police departments themselves. Mm. Um, it would create mayors, would create boards. All members would be appointed by those boards. And then an internal investigation office of the police department would carry out the investigation and present findings. That would return us right back to the process we were going um, through before. And so um, while the major difference is that oversight power, that um, subpoena power, I think we really need to hone in on the fact that, A, in a time, I think the, the bill was released the same day that the video of Tyree Nichols was released, right? In the state of Tennessee, where we have so much going on around police accountability and police violence, um, these are necessary boards. Um, we need the expansion of the boards and we need investment financial investment in these boards to make them operate correctly. Now, I understand that there was a town hall meeting in North Nashville last week about police violence and public safety. What was that discussion like? So I was in attendance at that meeting. Um, the conversation um, was very tenuous, uh, as I'm sure you can imagine. There had been um, not only the incident in Memphis with Tyree Nichols, uh, but also um, a few hours before, uh, maybe a couple of days before, there had been the incident here in Nashville uh, there were representatives from the North Precinct who were also present at that meeting uh, to talk about uh, what was happening in the community and their willingness to listen. Uh, and I think that what was elicited from the response of the community members at that meeting is that more needs to be done. Uh, there need to be efforts made, uh, certainly by the chief of police, uh, to reach out to representatives within the community oversight board ecosystem, specifically the executive director, Jill Fitchard, made mention of the fact that she has now been executive director of the community oversight board since, I believe, 2019. Uh, and there have been repeated attempts to sit down and have conversation with the chief of police uh, in an effort to to address issues of lingering questions regarding uh, access to information, efforts to be uh, sharing communications about what's happening with ongoing investigations. And to that date, um, the chief of police had either not been able to meet or had refused to meet with executives and, and, and representatives and leadership at the Community Oversight Board. And I think that's an example of the level of I think lack of response, collective lack of response from some people in higher levels of leadership in the police department to the concerns and the issues of the community. Uh, and there were folks in that room who were very, very frustrated with that lack of response and that lack of communication. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil A. Colonna. We're talking this hour about police violence and public safety after po the police beating and death of Tyree Nichols. With Timothy Hughes, Erica Perry, and Michaela McCree, tweet us your comments at this is Nashville. Michaela, you know, do, would you like to respond to what Timothy just said about the, the meeting and the need for a response? Listen, there has been 
an outcry for, again, we about the cycle thing. We go through cycles. Like, something happens, tragedy happens, there's an outcry for folks, from folks in the community for action to be taken by our elected officials. And then it falls on deaf ears. And then we end up in the same space. And so until we can collectively get to a point where we reimagine public safety in a way that it works for all of us Mm -hmm. and we hold elected officials to the fire on that, what we have the power to do is not let folk back in the office. It seems to me like it's not falling upon deaf ears. It's falling upon ears who, you know, and rather than ignore the issue, they're trying to remove the outcry. The opportunity for people to even say that they are upset with this. And, you know, you sit on the community oversight board. Do you look at this with a different lens because of your experience on the board? I would say I wouldn't say a different lens. Um, I would say that seeing this, seeing seeing issues like this and hearing from community members through the lens of a board member allowed me to have the perspective that nothing we're doing right now is working. Mm. I thought maybe that the board, the creation of the board, community members being able to have access to be able to be heard um, and get some type of, you know, remedy to their situation when they've been mistreated or an incident has come, uh, come up with police would be the solution. But even sitting on the board, I know that that's not effective. Nothing we are doing right now as a board is and can be effective until proper funding is placed into the board or we get cooperation with the police department because Mm. about close to 90 percent of the cases that we approve for police, you know, accountability right now, they still have to go to Chief Drake to be approved. Right. In order for any kind of disciplinary action to be accepted without his okay, it's still a no go. And so without that cooperation with the police department, we still are not making any rooms for any moves forward. And so um, that would be the only difference I I see that I would bring to um, or I would have on the issue as far as, you know, being a member. Yeah, I understand. We got this tweet from Marianne Messina. She says, quote, police training culture is all about scare tactics a seemingly, quote, innocent situation could be your last. Combined with you want to go home to your family, don't you? That training is not serving the public, end quote. Erica, I'm interested in your response to that. Yeah, I think we we know that to be true based off of, um, you know, our own encounters with the police. And I think that's especially true when we think about black folks encounter uh, with the police and and working class folks encounters with the police. And I think we have to be more radical in the Ella Baker sense and talking about getting to the root of the problem uh, when we talk about policing. Um, You know, we've talked about a number of reforms throughout the country in Tennessee, in Memphis, in Nashville that have not worked. The police cameras do not work. Um, Anti-bias training does not work. Uh, Diversity hiring does not work. Hiring more black officers, putting black people in higher positions inside of police departments does not work. And I think even we have to challenge what it looks like to continue to give the police more resources to harm our community. And all of those reforms 
give the police more resources and encourage more contact with um, with our communities. And so I think for us at the Black National Assembly, when we when we we looked at 2020 and we saw that there was not the political desire amongst city council, amongst the mayor's office to really get to the root of the problem, to really propose policies that would transform public safety in Nashville. And so we then started talking to black people. We was like, what makes you feel safe? What does safety look like in your community? And never went, nobody ever said more money for police. Nobody ever said more resources for the resources for the police department. Nobody ever said, I want another police officer in my neighborhood. But folks did say public, folks did say housing. They said education. They said the ability to address community harm uh, with each other uh, through restorative justice and transformative justice practices. Um, they did say uh, credible messenger programs that are community driven and community accountable would work. Um, and so, you know, we've used that to really create a political agenda and then fight uh, for power to get folks in office who align with that. And so to, to transform public safety is going to require political will. And right now that political will isn't there because many of our elected officials are invested in white supremacy. And we see that in how they vote on whether to give more money to housing, whether to really fund education, to make sure support staff have what they need, uh, the, the salaries they need to really be able to live in Nashville. We see that through the decision whether to really significantly invest in community centers or libraries. And so this commitment to white supremacy uh, shows up in, the com in, in how they fund policing and what policies um, they pass to really uh, reduce the size and scope of policing. And so it isn't just a problem with whether they fund the COB or or whether they allow the COB to have more power. As long as the police have over $200 million in mm. their pocket, they're yeah. going to harm our community. And I want to be clear that it is not proactive um, to prosecute police. It's not proactive to say, after the police have harmed us, let's go to the COB. We need to actually be proactive and reduce the size and scope of policing. And so I'm just really tired of uh, the reforms that is pushed in front of us and, and us to have to continue this. Our students are going to school with metal detectors, y'all. Like they got dogs searching their campuses as we speak. And that is frustrating. And so we really have to make sure that and, and we have a collective political agenda. We did that over the last two years. We need to make sure that we get people in office who align with that. Um, and so that that is what I think of when I when I hear that tweet and I hear what police officers are trained around. Thank you for that, Erica. You know, Timothy, I mean, final question for you. You know, how can our system of law enforcement be improved and a more effective solution than just throwing money at it. I think that the question, I mean, what's at the heart of your question is really, you know, what 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 keeps communities safe. I think that uh, we see that there are example after example of, of organizations that are using, you know, whatever resources they have, sometimes shoestring budge, budgets that are even less than 1% of what is currently being invested in law enforcement and policing in the city who are trying to make efforts toward creating a more safe and a more cohesive and a more supported community. Uh, groups like Gideon's Army are putting forth uh, programs like Theater for the Oppressed that allows uh, community members and children who are being impacted by the criminal legal system uh, to talk about their experiences in places like North Nashville, uh, which the Brookings Institution in 2018 described as uh, a community that had the highest rate of formerly incarcerated persons per capita mm -hmm. in the country. And so uh, just coming up on, uh, on, on 
you know, Sunday the 12th, uh, there will be uh, an effort to kind of plug in and, and learn more from those uh, young people who are expressing their perspectives at the Dark Horse Theater on Charlotte Avenue. Doors are going to open at 3.30. Uh, they're going to be talking about their experiences in North Nashville and also reimagining what public safety and futures look like for them. I think that we need to be investing in and supporting the work of groups like Gideon's Army and the Black Nashville Assembly making sure that there's accountability for those uh, lawmakers and legislators who are attempting to get rid of the power of the Community Oversight Board throughout the state of Tennessee and specifically in places like Memphis and Nashville. Mm -hmm. We've got to make sure that we have an agenda, we have a proposal, and we have ways to push back against those efforts to try to uh, stop the, uh, the will of the people moving forward. Timothy Hughes is on the board of Gideon's Army. He was joined by Erica Perry with the Black Nashville Assembly. I want to thank you both for coming on to the thank show. Thank you and so much thank for having you, us. Thank you for the work you're doing. Michaela McCree will stick with us through the break. When we come back, we'll talk about a way forward for community safety and reducing police violence. What changes do you want to see to our policing system? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Kalona, and this is Nashville. After the, fa the fatal police assault of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols in Memphis and the recent killing of a 48-year-old black man in North Nashville by police, there have been renewed calls for change to how police interact with the public. As we heard, community oversight boards, if properly funded and given authority, can bring accountability, transparency, and perhaps change. Lawmakers who also have the ability to ch create changes in our institutions through new laws. So what does a way forward look like? Who, how, pardon me, are those options and others going to reduce the number of deadly police interactions with people in the community? For that, I'd like to introduce my next guest. State Representative Joe Towns Jr. is a Democrat from Memphis. Representative Towns, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you for being here. We also want to hear from you. So tweet us at This Is Nashville or email us at thisisnashville.org. So, you know, Representative Towns Jr., let me start by asking you how your community in Memphis is doing right now. Well, I think that's a great question. And unequivocally, we are hurting. Our hearts are still broken. Our hearts are uh, just shattered, you know. And we are just stupefied as to really what would bring on such an atrocity to a young man who had not done anything uh, with an alleged traffic violation that causes him to lose his life. But we are in mourning. The family certainly is in mourning. The community is certainly in mourning. And I really appreciate people around the country and around the world, you know, reaching out and sending their goodwill and their prayers towards this family. But in short, we're just heartbroken mm -hmm. and we just don't understand why. How about your colleagues in the legislature? What have they said to you? How have they responded to this? Well, there again, people want to know what is going on. Nobody can understand it because there's no sense to it. OK, uh, so they will ask me and others that are from Memphis, what is going on in Memphis? What what happened? Why uh, did this happen? Well, nobody can answer that question. I can't answer that question. 
uh, with the exception of, you know, my opinion would be, hey, uh, because it didn't appear to be any provocation, but it appears to be some extreme hate uh, for a young man for no apparent reason, unless there's something deeper that we don't understand. And I've asked that the uh, Attorney General Memphis area, I've done press conference asking that he delve deeper into what this situation really, if there was something else we need to know, what really caused this, okay? There still needs to be more research done to figure out why. Because as the police director said, that she didn't see any evidence of there being any erratic driving or anything that would cause him to even be stopped. Why was he stopped initially, okay? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like a puzzle, a jigsaw puzzle. We don't know why this young man is dead. There's no apparent reason that that will cause his untimely demise. Mm -hmm. And even had he been driving erratically, there was no baseball bat, there was no knife, there was no gun. He still should not have been dead. Okay, there there are no weapons. Now, now, you know, as far as addressing that, you recently filed a bill at the state house, House Bill fourteen sixty two. Can you tell us what this bill seeks to do? Well, thank you for that as well. The bill fourteen sixty two simply seeks to come up with a policy, devise a policy that states that officers should make sure that when they're exercising punishment, that it should be. Uh, it needs to be balanced with and commensurate with the, the, the infraction. So in essence, no one should lose their life because of excessive force because of a traffic stop. Now, if you someone is shooting a gun or you have people taking their car and running up on the sidewalk, that's totally different. But the punishment that they meet out, the force that they meet out should be similar and parallel to the force that they, uh, uh, well, the crime should be parallel to the force that they're meeting out. That's what the bill seeks to do. So what we're trying to do is restrict, uh, have them trained with positive restrict them going over and beyond the pale for simple traffic stop to a violation. And a, a violation of a traffic stop and a citizen blessing the police out, cussing them out and talking bad to them, that's not enough. Because you can say what you want to say as long as you don't try to harm the officer or do something that's going to create harm around uh, the officer with other people, your conversation never gets you killed anyway. Now, people are not going to like bad conversation, but it's not supposed to get you killed. You're not supposed to get killed for bad conversation. Let let me ask you this. I mean, would this, would these new policies for enforcement in, you know, to be congruent with the infraction, would these new policies be, uniform, universally based throughout the entire state, or would each law enforcement agency create their own? No, I dare not to say that. I think it would need one set of policies across the state. That's the reason I'm introducing it at this level. It would be something that, that is done here at the state level, becomes state law applicable across the state, and then from there, the individual departments have to train according to the policy that is codified at the state level. You don't want uh, you know a mismatch or Popery, uh, all kind of assemblies. You want one policy that everyone has to go under. Okay. Now, Michaela McCree with the Nash- Nashville Metro Nashville Community Oversight Board is still with us. Michaela, I'd like to get your reaction to the proposed bill. I think having legislation at the state is a great thing. Um, 
and many of the departments, I will say, across the state of Tennessee have in their local precincts policies that prevent, you know, plans of de-escalation and plans for um, um, equal to action force, meaning that if someone pulls a gun, the officer has a right to pull a gun if they feel like their life's in, in danger. If, you know, they can escalate, I know in, in Nashville, they can escalate two points above whatever uh, their, the person they're working with is at to try to bring the situation down. Um, so there, there are policies in place across the state in, in various ways that help to reduce that. And even with the policy at the state level, when the violence, when the culture and the language of the departments does not change, I don't think legislation changes that until we change the culture and the language that they are using in training. So so what does a better approach to community safety look like? You know, what are tell me, what are some of the actionable steps that can be taken right now to make our neighborhoods safer and reduce instances of incidents, pardon me, of police violence? Absolutely. Um, so I will explain what I'm talking about through an example. Okay. The latest um, expansion or of the Nashville Police Department was the pilot program for mental health. And so they had the mental health co-op where a mental health professional and a officer would go out to mental health calls Mm -hmm. because mental health issues tend to be uh, consume a number of the cases that MMPD officers see on a daily basis. An actionable step would have been to make a mental health program that is separate from the police department to kind of bring down or de-escalate the situation to invest in the health and and wellness of community members before we get there. Um, but I think to have solutions that are apart from the department instead of expanding the breadth of the department are actionable steps we can take now when it comes to our sex crimes unit. There are many things in which, you know, getting the perpetrator and, and dealing with that on a criminal basis absolutely need to be handled through the department. But things as far as helping and assisting the victims, those are not necessarily things that I believe need to be a part of the or under the breath of the police department. And so actionable steps would be looking at all of the things that our departments are currently responsible for and then removing and reallocating some of those responsibilities into safe havens and and and, you know, departments that could host and properly care for our communities that don't involve police and policing. Now, earlier in the show, you mentioned that you, you know, as a part of being new to the oversight community oversight board, you were brought through like a citizens community oversight police training. Let me ask you this. You have a particular insight in this. Should we have tougher requirements to become a police officer in the state or in the city itself? For Nashville, I don't know if that would help. Mm. I don't I don't think the requirements to become a police officer are required, right? Like or, or the issue. It is the culture of the department that is the issue. <laughs> no, what I'm what I'm saying is, you know, some people it doesn't take as, as long to be a police officer as it does other professions, definitely in other civic service positions in the city. 
If there were more time, if people were scrutinized at a higher level to determine their character, to determine their fitness in mental health, would that potentially be one step in finding a solution? I would like to say yes. Mm. In a perfect world, I think it, you know, increasing the, you know, who we're looking for, increasing the number of people of color in the department, increasing the quality of the folks that we bring in, increasing the number of women in the department. You know, studies have shown maybe some of those things will help. And I used to believe that they would help. But again, after we can continue to see patterns of behavior, Mm. I am only left to believe that regardless of what the standards look like bringing folks in, the culture of the departments is ultimately what is going to determine the quality of the officers that are on the streets in our cities. Mm-hmm. Representative Towns. Let me jump in there. Please, yeah, please. In there. All right. I don't think that that will help. Okay. All right. The problem is not, and it can be, if you have minimal high standards, okay, and uh, you abide by those standards, you can always increase standards in anything that we do. That's always good. Flying airplanes or driving motorcycles, you can always increase standards and you should within a certain level. But with the standards that we currently hire officers at, they don't mistreat white people, okay, that way. Why is it that the standards work for them and it does not work for minority people? It doesn't work for African-American people. So so, so me- the same standards are applying to, the same standards are applying to uh, whites where they leave from a traffic ticket and they go home. But in, in the black community, that doesn't happen. In the minority community, that doesn't happen. So it's not standards. It's a devaluation of the lives of black and black people, Hispanic people, brown people in the community that people feel as if they can get away with. Okay. So tell they me, don't feel. As, so, so answer I'm this sorry, for me. What does a better approach to policing and community safety? What does that look like to you? Well, it looks like to me, here to across the country, many, many, many times when African American people have been killed, Rodney King situation fourth and before that there was no accountability people got away they were not even many many times you, you don't even get a uh, an indictment you don't even get uh, they get fired or they get laid off with pay you have to hold people accountable and that means firing and prosecuting people all the way up to prosecuting people for what they're doing that's egregious like that that's criminal prosecute people when they commit these crimes these felonious crimes against minority people black people okay they must be prosecuted when the word gets around that the same thing's going to happen to you uh when you actually violate an african-american or minority person's civic rights human rights and you're going to have to pay for that you'll change your mind now uh those cops in minnesota that did that to the young man up there i bet they've thought of many days and regretted the fact that they did what they did, but they didn't think they were going to be prosecuted. Mm-hmm. And, and or, in order to have that, we have to have the Supreme Court take on, finally take on, qualified immunity. You were listening to State Representative Joe Towns Jr. of Memphis. He was joined by Michaela McCree, who is with the Metro Nashville Community Oversight Board. I want to thank you both for being here with us today under these difficult circumstances, and thank you for the work that you're doing. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, ele- eviction filings are high in the city. 70% 
percent higher than they were before the pandemic. So what are tenants' rights? This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. Masterminds behind our theme music are Lorange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Rashida Fertuga and Ken Jobes. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. You can find us on Instagram. Let us know what you want from our show and respond to this show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody, and be good to each other.